0: welcome to the daily canon podcast here to talk all things arsenal is your host matthew wade hello again listeners and welcome to another daily canon weekly podcast it's a slightly Funny time of the week podcast this week. Uh, apologies for those of you who might wanted to hear what we want to say during the week, but I had a, a tooth taken out on Monday and therefore couldn't record on Monday because uh, I was a bloody drooling mess uh, during the normal podcast time and um, have been working like a Trojan uh, subsequently. So we're doing this before the Southampton game, so at least we can kind of uh, be still vaguely relevant. And and I guess the last two fixtures against Man United and Everton are such talking points throughout arsenal community particularly online that uh, there's still some value in them being talked about particularly as we may not necessarily say the same things as have been said before judging by what i've managed to consume in my auditory uh, pleasure if you want to put it that way or in other words other podcasts uh, for those of you who are less wanky than me anyway to help me try and stop sounding like a complete muffin on air is paul williams how are you paul
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that intro, mate. Very smooth. (laughs) Really smooth. (laughs)
0: Like butter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm all right, mate.
1: I'm all right. Obviously, it's been quite a uh, difficult few days in Arsenal, Lance. Such a difficult day that even the release of the uh, 93-94 away kit just sort of passed me by, really. Bukayo Saka holding a puppy. I was like, no, no Adidas, I will not give you my money.
0: I suppose what's apt is the ninety-three, ninety four league season, we were a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. We still finished fourth, though. Yeah, but that's because trophy positions.
0: That that well that's before such positions are trophy positions, and that's because everyone else was shit too, apart from apart from the top two that season. Um and of course, the following year we were even shitter. Uh But we won't we won't get into that and drawing analogies with now. Obviously, a lot of people have been after the last week have been saying Arteta, oh, it's going to be eighth place again. Ah, um, so yeah. I mean, before we go into any detail, uh, at least at least you know we're not eighth, we're seventh. So you yeah, know, we're seven. Progress. with our with our minus four goal difference, remarkably. Okay, well, let's just jump into it. I mean. There's no point in going into too much uber detail about the, the particularly the Man United game, g- given that it's a little while ago now. Um But
1: that was odd, wasn't it? That was
0: just an odd game of football.
1: It was an awful game of football. It up, was an awful
0: but... game of football, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I... I had... I mean, I know you and I had a Twitter exchange about Granit Xhaka um, last weekend, I think. Um where you were talking about how Xhaka would have given us control at Manchester United and I would say that no, I don't trust him and then obviously the team he's dropped and Granite, Xhaka is restored to the first team despite having had two training sessions I think in the last three months maybe not even that
0: it's a little bit previous yes
1: um and I just there were there were things about that team selection on Monday night that I well, I, I I was worried, basically. I don't, I mean, as bad as Everton have been, and as people that listen to this podcast quite often will know by now, two of my best friends are Everton fans, and they were both fully expecting Arsenal to go and Gov Everton. I was a little less confident than that, but still expecting us to do well. But our team selection, bringing back Jack Perintini at the same time, and it's not hindsight. I thought I thought it at the time. I I, I thought that was probably a little bit wrong-headed. Um, and then, obviously, the game turned out and, you know, circumstances may be beyond of control with a couple of injuries. For, for had to have played the full 90 minutes is craziness, in my opinion, and just asking for trouble at some point not in, in the not-too-distant future.
0: Well, when I was making my comment about the Man United game, I was obviously basing that on a fully fit Granite Xhaka. Of course,
1: yeah, yeah. Rather <laughs> than one leg. You know, I have a at the time. I, 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 do, I do take the point. And um, my issue with Xhaka is not that he doesn't give us control. It's just that I don't trust him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well,
0: I mean, that that I can... Basically, my take on Jacker Xhaka... Um, I know we're sort of doing this in a bit out of sequence, but my take on Granit Xhaka is he's a player that in, in the right set or against the right com- opponent can be very good. You, you, historically, Granit Xhaka has generally been pr- good against United as long as we don't get caught on the counter too much. Good against Chelsea, shite against Man City and shite against Liverpool because of the, just, you know, you look at the styles of the teams. I mean, obviously those are better teams than us at, uh, in recent years, but it's just those that, because of the way that those teams play, you know, Liverpool and city are a hundred percent intensity pace and quick movement, quick interchanges, people running at hundred miles an hour. And we know that that that's, that puts Granit Xhaka in a lot of stress because it's even having to deal with things that he's not built to deal with. And we know that when Granit Xhaka gets stressed. Bad things happen
1: indeed, so and I want to be clear that actually my problem isn't that he brought Granite Jacker back into the team because he's Granite Jacker. My problem is that he brought Granite Jacker back into the team when he wasn't ready, and I think what happened on Monday night was just you know with half an hour left, he was dead, you could see it um
0: yeah, well, before, um, before we go full on full on to Monday night, let's just briefly touch on the on the United game because I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about from the Everton game. Okay. Uh, they're, they're two slightly different things because obviously, l- you know, losing away at Man United, even though Man United are vulnerable and shit at the moment, Man United do have like a billion pounds worth of talent in their squad, and they're always going to have they've got attacking players. That if you give them chances, they will eventually hurt you, mm-hmm. even though their defence is pony and their midfield is schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Everton are a team that are obviously we're on a terrible, terrible run, have a, a far less strong squad, and don't have, we don't have such as much of a historical uh, relationship of suffering with. So there, there there is a slightly different framework around that. But just sort of on the Man United game, again, we're not gonna go into any detail about it, but I found it a really strange game to watch simply because the quality was poor, as you said. Um Obviously we got the weird opening goal, which yeah. which Martin Atkinson was desperately trying to find a reason to disallow but couldn't, until someone on VIO just went, You can't, it's the rules, you have to let it stand. Um and and then we kind of didn't know what to do with it. We had our second chance, which we didn't take, and then retreated into our shell a little bit, which is which is the Arsenal with the lead this season formula. Um but but United was a game where losing that game was down to stupidity and a bit of ill fortune. That was a game that we were well in the game the whole game, and no one could have complained if the result went the other way. You know, we had we had enough chances to 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 get more out of the game. United's goals were from uncharacteristically poor defending from 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 certain individuals, um, and. Uh it, it never felt like it, it felt it that game was a frustration and disappointment but not a yeah. holy shit.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I uh, I played football last Thursday and went back to my mate Steve's to watch the game with him and someone else we played football with. And when I left his house later that evening, I I didn't <laughs> I was I was disappointed that we lost, but I didn't feel terrible about it because I just thought we'd competed pretty well. I think we controlled most of the game. I mean, the, like you say, the, the weird goal that led to the weird sets, sitting off United, and there was a bit of me that, that knows it's what the Arsenal team have been doing this season, but there's another bit of me that's like, you guys are fucking mad. We're at Man United and we've scored this goal that the referee wanted to disallow but couldn't go for the throats. You know, we had them. We were all over them in that opening period of the game. We hit the top of the bar. We had one off the line from someone. I can't remember who it was. Um, But we could have easily been 2-0 up in the first 20 minutes of that game. Um, And then... We just stopped, it felt like. And I I think, like you say, Matthew, it, 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 essentially we lost that game for just lax defending and stupidity. I mean, the goal that they scored when uh, Tavares went charging off up the pitch and then we lose the ball. And um, I, I don't think Tavares was ever going to get back into position. It was too late, but he didn't even try. Um and things like that that sound frustrating. Of course, to give give that penalty away, and again, how Mark and Atkinson didn't give that in the first.
0: I know that was. I think that was the only time in recent memory I've been appalled that an opposition team hasn't got a penalty against us. I was just like, yeah. When uh, as as you saw it, he's like, oh shit, that's a penalty, and he didn't give it. And you're like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> although, I mean, although of, of course, course un- unlike the Tommy Asu incident, VAR. Intervene. <laughs>
1: Interesting how often VAR intervenes on behalf of another team, but never seemingly us. Uh, um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that and on. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 just in terms of the balance of play, I, I found that game a little bit frustrating. But I didn't go home looking to kick Tomcat in the face or anything like that. Um, well,
0: well, I think the thing about the United game is that the things that went wrong for us in that game were things that you know defensive mistakes were out of character but everything else wasn't that surprising there was that slight that was that conservatism when we had the lead there was the fact that progressing the ball up the pitch was something we struggled with uh annoyingly against united it was as much down to technical insecurities it was some of the other issues that have been um ongoing I mean you know we've seen the fixtures kind of catch up with this. Smithrow looked gassed against United then had to go for the knock yeah, yeah and, and ultimately his lack of um touch and f- and and fitness as the as the, the first half went on and the second half came ultimately led directly to at least one Man united goal um and didn't give us the same ball carrying going forward that we'd normally have. Obviously, Saka wasn't available in that game, and much much as Martinelli did well. Saka is our primary ball progressor against teams that are pressuring us. Like, Smith-Rowe is great at progressing the ball from broken play, but he's not very good with someone up his arse, whereas Bakayo Saka's much more confident when he's got someone tight to him. And then you look at who else we had in that game, you had Erdegaard and Abamyang, and Abamyang is currently a bit of a ghost, and frankly, he's never really that often up for a physical scrap. With defenders, can't really hold the ball up. But you know, when he does, he can do it occasionally, but it's always a surprise. And so, we got to a stage where we just couldn't retain the ball going out. So it looked like we were retreating, but it's just because our distribution was shit and our ball retention in the opposition half was shit. And so, we'd get the ball in there, and and, and then immediately it'd come straight back again. Um, and so in that game, we kind of needed to play a little bit more on the counter, uh, given what are the makeup of our front line. but unfortunately the players who rely on to do that didn't do it very well on the day. Um, and, and it was a strange one with Elmeni and party in midfield, you know, that had been very successful the year before. I mean, one can only assume from what we've seen that La Conga may have a, a knock or something, or, or the manager's trying to protect him in some way. After he all went pear shaped from against Liverpool, but because because on the face of it, um, El Nini did quite well against United and outshone Party, but it's partly because United weren't scared of him. So they said, "All right, well, we're not going to bother pressing you the same way as we're going to press Thomas Party," and, and and accordingly, El Nini was. And I think Odegaard was guilty of this against United, which led to the penalty, and and, and in a way Martinelli was at times as well, which is there were players who have been out of the team who would trying too hard mm. and and as a, as a result all of them at times found themselves doing things which they wouldn't normally do you had you know uh, Elmen trying to be the playmaker and he played some decent passes but it also he's not he's ne- never someone he's never someone that plays the ambitious passes quickly he can punch you know five yard square passes quickly or whatever but or t- or 10 yard square passes but it, you know when he plays the more ambitious passes he doesn't tend to do so at great speed. Um, but he was trying he we found himself as our midfield playmaker, Erdegaard tackling back in the box, like we haven't seen that one before, slide tackling the box. Oops, that worked out well. Um and 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 Martinelli was was playing a bit like a lone strike force at certain points. Um and so the whole thing was a little bit disconnected, but still it's a game that we should have probably got something out of. So it was a frustration it was a frustration and a disappointment but it wasn't appalling because because it was it was sort of got old fashioned arsenal kicking themselves in the face um but, yeah. but i do think we were guilty of playing the shirt rather than the opposition team a little bit you know playing man united in terms of uh, rather than recognizing that the man united team in front of us had a, a good fort line and feck all else
1: uh yeah. De Gea made it up to a couple of really good saves. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, sort of remembered he was a goalkeeper, which was unfortunate
0: for us. Um, well, he tends to do well against us.
1: He does. He does.
0: I mean, to be fair, we say that. <laughs> I mean, his conduct for our opening goal was nothing short of embarrassing. No. Oh no! Someone's no. treading on my to- foot. It must <laughs> be an off player. I am, ma- I am maimed. I will turn my back and not look at the play, even though no whistle has gone. <laughs>
1: it might have been Alan Davis though I tell you. He, he was so injured that he got up and chased the referee as soon as the goal was awarded um, I yeah I don't know I, think I just think with felt. I, I understood that yes yeah, he was really good at Old Trafford last season uh, in an empty stadium by the way but um it felt like a bit of a retro game set and I hate to keep going on about him he's probably not as good as I think he is <laughs> but I feel a bit sorry for this guy that had a really good game against Watford, he gets put, put on the bench came on for 25 minutes against Liverpool, didn't have a really good game but there weren't many players in our team that had a very good game against Liverpool. The goalkeeper was probably the only person that I can think of on the night. Um, And then he's kind of vanished and like you say with Lukonga uh, I hope it is an injury or something like that because he's just been disappeared. Um, And these were actually Lukonga and Maitland-Niles in that Watford game played really well together. Um, it's just, I, I mean, I, you and I had a little debate on Twitter uh, over the last couple of days and just find some of our quite decisions over the last week quite difficult to fathom.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, so we'll move on then to the Everton game because that's obviously one <laughs> that has exercised a lot of the fan base, um, and, and understandably so uh in that and and it seems to have put a lot of people who were uh, shall we say ten days ago or fifth or two weeks ago kind of reasonably okay we can see what's happening here we well, you know we'll wait and see and there's a lot of people have gone straight back into the arteta out camp in a very short space of time as a result of these two games and which is obviously down to the nature of, of the defeat at everton in particular I mean you mentioned the selections I mean the starting lineup as you alluded to, he was taking a risk. He was starting players who were not likely to last the 90 minutes. And this isn't five subs at Premier League anymore. You know, like Burnley and people like that voted against it. So we've only got three subs. And if you're starting with three players you know aren't likely to last 90 minutes, it's a big risk. Um, I mean, of course, you know, despite the pedestrian first half, when Jacka plays the ball out to Tierney and Tierney crosses and Odegaard scores. You're thinking, okay, well that's pretty good vindication for the manager. Um but that was the high point of in, in for for obvious reasons. Um, you know, Tierney was totally gassed after sixteen minutes, and was totally gassed after sixteen minutes. Um and we all know Lacazette can't play for 90 minutes, even if in a game like this he can't be asked to fucking run around.
1: Uh, I think my highlight of the match, and I did tweet about it, was actually in the second half when Martinelli got put in down the right and he, he, he runs through and then he has to go wide and he kicks the cross and it, it just drifts out and play over the crossbar. <laughs> and Lacazette like standing in the middle having just arrived, waving his arms like, why didn't you pass the minutes? Like, mate, you wouldn't have got there if you started running yesterday. Um, I just... Like a lamppost, I was calling him. So when I I went down to Steve's football football yesterday, and I walked in, and I can't remember what he said to me, but it launched me on a ten minute rant about Arsenal on Monday night. (laughs) Um, So luckily for everyone listening to this podcast, I got my rant out yesterday. Um, But like, you know, you 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 just said it. We had three players in the starting lineup that we knew were not going to last ninety minutes. So we're not planning for anything else to happen to anybody. Which, given that uh, Bukayo Saka routinely and as happened on Monday night, gets the shit kicked out of him.
0: Yeah, he has not um, an immunity as a Jesus Christ. Nice. It's, like, it's like hunting season. It's.
1: I mean, I really, really, I, I, I think, and I'm sure you would say this too. Um, I don't want to talk about refereeing decisions really because Arsenal will. In my opinion, they were crap on Monday night. And they got oh, yeah, yeah. what they deserved, but how yeah. the fuck Ben Godfrey got away—not just with the stamp, but three separate yellow card challenges—I mean, what the hell's going on? I...
0: Well, I mean, we we can't pretend to be surprised by this. We've, we, I mean, this is the thing. Actually, statistically, in the last fifteen years. Arsenal's record at Everton has been poor. The last decade particularly, I think we've won up there twice or something like that. And it's uh, and it's partly because every referee lets them kick the shit out of us. I mean, there was that one game where Lukaku tore us, tore us a new one and they just outplayed us on the day. Mm. But most of the games we've gone up there and lost have been ones where, where they've been extremely physical. It's got the crowd up. The referee has done nothing to protect the Arsenal players. Um, and we've been either bullied in a, in a fairly legitimate sense or maimed in a less legitimate sense. Um, and it, it is a significant factor in those fixtures. And, of course, speaking more broadly, you know, we all we'll know what I think about English referees and their complete inability to interpret the laws appropriately. Um, and there are a lot of them around at the moment that basically are have been refereeing in the top flight since the laws were rather different to what they are now and still seem, and, but seem to be refereeing games as if it's actually in the 1980s and frankly, aren't fit for purpose. Um, you know, we saw against, you know, Mike Dean was doing his best. How can I piss off everybody? Uh, by getting and, and and Martin Atkinson did much the same at Man United. We you know we referred to the fact he he couldn't even give didn't even give Man United the most to home penalty. I mean yes yes it was a penalty that Fred played for and but artificially moved his body in an unnatural position to make sure he got the contact. But we all know that that's a penalty given in every other game that we'll see. Um, but yeah, the I mean Mike Dean was just kind of. I don't know, he was sort of treating it as if he was a, a, in a crowd of an MMA event and was quite happy to
1: let him know. He's <laughs> had he the snooker a couple of days ago. Um, there was a joke to be made about missing obvious reds. Um, Indeed. I couldn't find it, but um, yeah, <laughs> I was just, it just leaves a bad taste. And obviously I was chatting to um, Luke, my uh, Everton fan, Busy, during the game, and uh, after the stamp, he was like, well, where was he supposed to put his foot? And I thought, well, I don't know, but surely not in some face. Well,
0: where he's supposed um, to put it is anywhere else. That, as, yeah, as, yeah, as, yeah. I, I, um, I think, think Arsblog said, from what I've seen reported, the question mark is, if it was his own teammate, would he have done the same thing? Yeah. And the answer is no, he'd have tried to avoid
1: it. It was the way he looked away. Wasn't it? Oh, 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 yeah, it was uh,
0: like a, it was like a look away pass, wasn't it?
1: So Luke said, "Oh yeah, uh, where was he supposed to put his foot? <laughs> Maybe not in his face." Um, but then I said, "Well, what about the other? Well, what about the other tackles <laughs> where he's main sacker?" And Luke was like, "Oh, you know what? You've got a fair point there." Even Luke, who's quite uh, he loves his football team just as much as we love ours, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, but like you say, it feels like we're talking about this on every podcast.
0: Well, I mean, unfortunately, the issue is, is I mean, people always say, oh, you can't complain about the ref, the team was shit anyway. It's like, well, the two are not mutually exclusive. Arsenal are rubbish and deserve to lose. But obviously, if the referee had done his job properly, Godfrey would have gone. And actually, that tackle scored by Anthony Gordon on Nuno Tavares Tavares comes on, gets a tackle over the ball straight into his ankle, can't run for the next 15 minutes. Everton score. You know, it's a direct function. And, and actually, both of those players should have been, they were both red card tackles. And Gordon should have been booked three times prior to that. And that's giving him, after giving him a couple for free. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was an absolutely dreadful refereeing display because the reason why it makes me so angry is it's, Yes, some, someone can make a bad tackle and the ref can miss and it can be a mistake. That happens. But this is a player who is clearly massively hyped up and playing at a dangerous level of aggression over a period of time. And it kept escalating and going slightly further and slightly further. Now, he eventually got booked after that. Uh, and then and then suddenly became much more circumspect and stopped kicking the shit out of everyone within five yards of him. And actually, it probably helped his performance. But the fact is, is that... You know, he literally could have been sent off three times for the challenges that obviously, if you get booked early, you don't make the other ones, and that's the, that's the worst thing about it because the referee's negligence means that the players become the play becomes more dangerous or retains a level of danger, which is you know part of the job of the referee is to protect the players, and and you know certainly by the third challenge on Saka, he should have got a yellow card because he was leading with his knees and not and nothing else, and then. You know, we saw a couple of bad tackles after that, a stamp in the face, and another tackle for which he got booked. I mean, it's an absolute farce. And, I mean, I, I don't know how it can be justified. Um, but we seem to be getting, you know, one of these at least every other game at the moment, where, where a referee is just either just not giving us what, what we should do in terms of decisions, or is letting the opposition go with impunity. And, it, and it's a bit like, you know, back in... The late two thousands, when we had that, you know, that young team, where every year we had someone with a broken leg because referees were just thought we thought it was fun to let the open season against us. Yeah, and it feels like that. Only then I could understand why teams were playing physical against us because we were playing the best football in the country, but we're a little bit lightweight. So even though it's a moral, the referee should have stopped it. It was a tactic I could understand. But right now we're shit. Yeah. Or at best we're mediocre, uh, and. Uh, they sh- teams shouldn't be scared of you know not scared of us, but shouldn't be employment tactic. And unless they're like you know twentieth and fighting for their lives, it makes no sense. Anyway. Um,
1: yeah, and I, I think that was the biggest frustration for me on Monday night. I, um, we were just so bad to watch. Yeah, it was just, I just felt. I actually when we when we scored I started laughing because it, it just felt so undeserved for me. Um, particularly coming off the back of Rich uh offside
0: head. Yeah, but that goal from which Rich scored offside was was it was, was never a fucking free kick, liverton no, I
1: absolutely absolutely agree uh with that. Um Luke didn't obviously but I I don't know how that was given as a free kick.
0: Because Mike Dean uh, lives just outside the city of Liverpool.
1: Oh uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course.
0: Um, I mean, we know he's a Tranmere fan, but I do, I do think that isn't that has been an issue over a number of years. That makes me uncomfortable. Is yeah, you, obviously they're not fans of that team, but if you're living in the same city, it's like when we got on the Mancrefs in Manchester. You know, it's like, mm, surely that's not putting the referee. To be honest, it's it's not putting the referee in a fair position if they're having to officiate games where they live. Because the consequences of them making a decision that is unpopular is greater and therefore the pressure is greater for them to not make a certain decision. Um,
1: yeah. Um, but, after, so, I mean, Erdegaard said that after we scored, we kind of, I can't remember exactly what he said, but...
0: Basically not playing, yeah.
1: Yeah, but we ha- we weren't really playing in the first half either. And
0: yeah, I the mean, only difference in the first half is Everton were, were so scared that they were even worse than we were.
1: Yeah. But I, I mean, I said to go with about twenty-five minutes left. I was like, I can see where this is going. I, I you know, again, it's not me saying it with hindsight. Um, it seems quite clear to me that Everton would equalise at some point, and then if they had time, because they would have the momentum and they have the crowd with them. I think the crowd did a did the Everton team a massive favour on Monday night, the way they supported them. Um, but it. It always felt a game to me that Everton would actually end up winning in that second half because we just stopped and we were just trying to waste time and do things that, I mean, you know, we've all wanted to see Arsenal ha- have a little bit more of a streetwise edge for them over the last few years. But they almost went completely the other way on Monday night. And I don't know, like. <laughs> I mean, success, Joe and I watched, uh, like, when that goal went in, um, brilliant goal by Damari um, yeah. I just uh, I switched straight over to success because I was like, I'm not going to sit and watch the rest of this game. So it turned out I missed Bammyang missing a switcher. Well, exactly. But, but I think had I not had succession to get me through the next hour, I'd have been really skewing about this performance for, well, for the rest of the evening and into Tuesday morning because, I mean, you know, I talk about my uncle and the uh, snipe messages I get from him when Arsenal had bad games. He didn't message me on Monday night, but I did message him on Tuesday morning and said, that's an Arsenal performance to be upset about because there was just nothing to like about it.
0: I mean, this has been obviously commented on previously, but we really are seeing the senior players letting down the kids because we know that the younger players, we, you know, it's it, unless you've got a prodigy like Messi or Fabregas or someone like that. We know that younger players have massively fluctuating levels of performance, particularly in teams that might not be very consistent in, in, anyway. Um, and and so, again, that's part of the reason why the United game was easier for me to take, even though it was incredibly frustrating and disappointing. Because, you know, young players kind of not being at their best, being at Man United, you know, huge reputation, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, there's still a fear factor there, which, you know, if you're a young player that hasn't achieved a great deal in the game yet, you're going to be carrying that into it. You're going to be that, that atmosphere, that aura, that sense is going to be inhibiting you in some way. Um, but we picked a slightly, you know, even more senior team at Everton. Um, and you know, uh, I mean,
1: I see what I thought. Was who,
0: who can we say out of these two fixtures has actually played well? I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think. I think if we're looking at people who've improved their, not improved, but kind of maintained their positive opinion, I think you know, Martinelli did okay in both games. He was pretty good against United against Everton. Yeah. he was trying. Um, Saka looks tired, but at least was a threat against Everton. Uh, Erdegaard gave away a stupid penalty, but it's two goals and two games, and he was trying to make things happen. Um, and then and then you're struggling, really. Um, I mean, Tomiyasu was okay. He wasn't really at fault for anything that went wrong in either of the games, particularly. Um, you know, you could argue that he could have done more to try and close down Damari Gray, but you don't expect Demari Gray to bang one in from twenty five yards in off the post to the, the, with an set rocket of a shot because he's probably done that twice in his career before. That, um, and this is someone who quite likes Demari Gray, and is you know I'm glad he went to Everton. It it's working out for him. Um, but uh, you know that's not one you can really blame anyone for. Sometimes someone just hits a thundered bastard into the into the corner of the goal, and you got to live fun. with it. Yeah,
1: it's happened a few times at Everton, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> but. But you know, Aubameyang against Man United was just stop making runs at the time when we really needed him to be making runs. Because ultimately, if Harry Maguire is feeling so comfy at the back that he's strolling into a 35 yards outside your goal taking pot shots, then your strikers are not working hard enough off the ball. He's got to, he's got to think that if we get the ball and play one over the top, we're one on one with the goalkeeper. And we, and, and that that was never going to happen. You know, Martial did his best to try and create that a bit, and ultimately set up Erdogan's goal in that game. But Yang put in a, and Abamyang's Aubameyang, confidence is clear in the toilet at I the and he can't, he couldn't finish his dinner to corner phrase. Um, but Lacazette came into the team. I think a lot of people beforehand were talking about how that needed to happen. You know, Bamiang wasn't playing great, wasn't retaining possession. Lacazette does that. And then Lacazette put in a fucking stinker of a performance against Everton. Like, I know that he was... We weren't giving him enough support and he was getting bounced around a bit by their bruises at the back. But his his application levels at times in that game were, were really woeful. Um, Parties gave himself a four out of ten. Rating for his Arsenal career so far, and then probably dropped the two or three out of ten performance in the next game.
1: Um, <laughs> you know, well, no, he said to me yesterday because I, 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 I did knives her out of the parfait a little bit, but he said, that, I mean, obviously his passing and his touch wasn't great, but he he was at least looking like he was trying. Whereas I think against United last week, he, I. <laughs>
0: There was some proper strolling against United, were not there? You yeah. Know, two 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 United goals were completed with shots of him walking into <laughs> into the danger zone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think what struck me on Monday night um, and... Yeah, he was clearly, as you say, knackered uh, by by the time he. I think he got substituted in the Man United game. Was h- how much we Mr. the Mills Smith Rowe going, going well, not just going forward, but in terms of his defensive work as well. Um, that just, I mean, maybe it was just a horrible performance all round, and Smith Rowe wouldn't have made much of a difference. But I feel like someone like him, he's always busy um and actually he you know he, he I feel like he's someone that would have been able to cope with that game on monday night well it
0: depends which version we've got isn't it because we've seen the last couple of weeks basically you know even the last even the last couple of games where he's done well he's he's been he's been getting tired he's a player who's never played a full season before you know he's played half a season and even then he wasn't in for the entirety of the half season and it, this was always going to happen. We were just hoping we could get and get squeeze a, a couple more games out of him before he did. You, you know, I mean, you could assure Arteta was thinking if we can just get him through the United game and maybe the Everton game, and then we can get him to put his feet up at home in Southampton, you know. But obviously, that's not the way things panned out. Um, I mean, it doesn't help, it doesn't help that you know we've all been quite pleased with our defense, um, but because we're trying to. We're trying to play a more of a passing, progressive game. In some ways, we're exposing them slightly more. And of course, these are again they're young defenders, and they've they've had a good period of form. But you know, clever attackers know how to exploit inexperienced defenders. And you know, there's a there's a reason why, even though he doesn't really run that much anymore, Ronaldo still scores goals at a hat load because he knows where to be, he knows where to stand, and knows what positions to take up. He's absolutely brilliant at making the at making the defender lose him in the box. Um, and Richarlison is a, is, is, a, is an extremely physical, talented, nasty little shit of great value that you'd love to have in your squad. <laughs> um, yeah. And he always gives our, whoever we have had in the back line, a hard game up at Goodison. So I'm, I'm not going to be too critical of our defence. I mean, Tavares got exposed a bit, um, but, you know, we he was bought to be a backup left back and he had a cup, few good games and then he's shown against the better teams or, or better opponents that he hasn't quite got the composure necessary which is no shock, I mean it's kind of what we said when he, we signed him um, it obviously didn't help that against Everton he got crocked within about a minute of coming on through, through a dreadful tackle you know so uh, and, and Ramsdale is possibly could have done better on one of the goals at United but basically is pretty blameless Um so again, it comes down to who's who's helping out the younger players elsewhere in the pitch, you know. And if Jack is not fit, and we and as you've already said, he's not exactly Mr. Reliable when things are going going a bit pear-shaped. Um and then you've got Party who's just he, he can't buy a pass at the moment. Um stri- strikers are offering us nothing, which is what I mean, I have to say, this is one of the things that loads of people were losing their shit about in Keti coming on. Uh a petit in the Everton game, and I can understand why people weren't happy with him coming on the in the United game, um, but that was just de- a slight desperation attack from Arteta trying to, actually, to try and stretch the game more, and you know, and probably as much about taking a Bamyang off as it was about putting in Kedir on. But I thought against Everton he came on. Yes, he missed that sitter with the header, which is obviously you know if he, if that goes in, he looked, Arteta looks like a fucking genius, doesn't he? Because it doesn't go in, but he also then created three chances for teammates. The fact that you know. Either they were missed or shots were not taken quickly enough. That's not on him. Inqetta mm. you know, was sent on to change the game or, or or make things happen, and he did that better than the people who he'd, he'd, he'd replaced. And so, yes, we all feel like well, he's bugging off at the end of the season, so I should be given game time. But the fact is, whenever we've seen Inqetta this season, he's been decent. You know, he's he's not quite good enough to be a, a first-choice player at Arsenal, and that's no, you know, that's fair enough, whatever. But he was sent on to try and make something happen. He made things happen, and others fucked it up. And and uh, you know, I just wanted to make that point because I think there's nothing. Just because a player's leaving doesn't mean that you shouldn't use them if you think it's going to be helpful.
1: Well, I, yeah, and I understand that, and I'd probably even agree with it. I just think when he's basically not being part of the. First team proper picture all season, like literally. I don't. I don't think he's even made the bench that many times. Then all of a sudden, he's been thrown on to rescue, try and rescue games, um, without having had any time in the in the squad. It just looks, it looks desperate. And I think maybe that's irrelevant, but it just.
0: For me, I think um, that's people creating narratives to suit their broader viewpoint. Whoa! Well, oh, yeah. Because people didn't react the same way. Remember when Unai Emery totally binned off Aaron Ramsey? Yeah. And then he brought Ramsey back, and Ramsey was great. And until until mm. typically Ramsey's hamstrings went at the end of the season, and then everything went tits up as a result of that. But yeah, no, yeah. but nobody then was saying the same thing. Is it just because Aaron Ramsey was a better and more proven player? Or is it because at that stage there were less people pissed off with Unai Emery?
1: <laughs> is it one, one from colour man, one from Coloured Man?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, possibly.
1: But, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just it just maybe Arteta felt yeah he, had, uh, he doesn't doesn't have it, any other options I space because Martinelli was already on the pitch. Um,
0: well, Martinelli I think, had to go off injured, didn't he? Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. So he didn't have Martinelli to bring on. Although he did have Nicola Pepe.
0: well, and Abamio, who came on later,
1: uh, yeah. So I think that was the thing for me. If I, again with Alba, uh, like if he if he's lost your confidence that much that you only give him, him five minutes. I mean, I, I you know I've got eyes, I've got a brain. I can see that things have not been going well for Alba uh, for the last few weeks. I feel I. I, I <laughs> I feel a bit bad for him because it's like I, I actually only think it's the last. Uh, well, the game against United, he wasn't great. Before that, it wasn't that he wasn't playing well; he just wasn't finishing. Um, yeah,
0: he was st- struggling with the confidence in front of goal, and he was getting desperate to score.
1: Yeah, like- I mean that that chance that he had where he uh, hit the post from a yard out against Newcastle, and it's like it looks like a really bad miss in real time. It is; it's not great but he was trying to steer it in with a defender on the goal line, so...
0: His, for me, his, his miss against Everton was far worse, actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, just everything feels muddled, and to get to where I wanted to get to with this conversation, yep. what the fuck is going on with Nicola Pepe? I mean... Well, I mean, but, it's
0: all the noises coming out of this media is that the club won't shot of him... Um,
1: well, it certainly
0: feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's a tricky one because we all know how much talent he's got. A little sympathy for the manager, simply because the last couple of times I saw Pepe start for us, I was like, "You're not even fucking trying, mate." You're not. You're not. You. You know. There was a period where the start of last season, he was absolute toilet. Then he started really putting the work in, and so at least he wasn't a liability on the pitch. You know, so even when he was trying things that weren't coming off. At least he was like positionally sound, he was tracking back, he was putting in the effort. and So I'm like, great, if, if he does that, then the potential he has to make things happen makes him worthwhile. Of course, Saka has proven to be the better player in that position because of his all-round game. And, and Pepe, yeah, just the last two or three times I've seen him play, it has been like the beginning of last season where he just looks like he's not fucked. And it's like, well... Competition, you know, you're at a top club here. You know, yes, we're not at the peak of our powers, but there's another player who's really good, who plays in your position, who if you want to play, you've got to show something. And he's shown... I'm I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed with him this season because I think... and I thought he played pretty well at times, actually, when the team was struggling right at the start of the season. But I think as soon as he kind of lost his place... He's kind of he's kind of not really not really shown anything at any point that makes you want to give him a place back. And obviously, if Arteta's not even bringing him off the bench, you got to feel that the manager feels that as well. I mean, we can't you know I'm not going to sort of say that our Pepe's not trying in training or anything like that because that'd be me making up a narrative to suit a particular argument that oh, I can't remotely substantiate. But you know he's he's a player that when he has got a chance hasn't done enough to justify getting anything more. And actually, I think that Nketiah has been considerably better in the few minutes he's had this season than Nicola Pepe has, um, you know, and, and consistently and in pre-season. Um, so for me, bringing the And I think Nketiah came on before Ober at Everton because he was playing a wider role and, and Ober's He's looked tired is lacking confidence and and I think perhaps out wide Nketiah is a better option we saw him do really well there in pre-season you know as I say he had an impact against Everton. so I don't have a pro- for me those decisions are not the ones that, that worry me because I would have been inclined to make similar calls for me it's <laughs> the at the start which was just as we've said put us in a position of inherent risk and um, and ultimately you know, the players have got to take some effing responsibility. I mean, yes, it's on a coach to motivate players. Of course it is. And so that does ultimately always come back to the manager. But I've just seen too much from the senior pros in recent games where, you know, when when, when Bamiang was running around like a madman and missing chances, okay, he's never been the most efficient finisher. I mean, yes, he got that massive contract on the back of two seasons where his goal scored exceeded his XG significantly. <laughs> now we've gone the other way. But he's always been a player that chances. He was a player that missed chances at Cintetia he was at Dortmund. You know, that's why Real Madrid never bought him. Because when you're spent when you've got all the money in the world and can get attract any player you want, you buy the cold dead eyed killers. <laughs> um but yes, but you know a is actually this season for in comparison to other seasons, he's our worst player when you compare his XG to his actual goals. So he's basically missing chances this season at a greater rate than he has done at any point in the last five or six years. But he's not been getting a hat load of chances. So, you know, th- there may be some um, reversion. Well, to uh,
1: I, th- I don't know if you've read the Ask blog this morning, but mm. I see he has uh, some stuff on... Uh, big chance creation and then big chance conversion and it's pretty ugly reading um, for any Arsenal fan. I think we're like 18th in both tables. Yeah. Um, which kind of tells you where we are really. No, it, Lac- Lacazette has scored one goal this season. Oh, um,
0: well, well, that's the thing is Lacazette has scored one goal but he's had less than 10 shots. Yeah. And it's like, well, I know that you're playing a deeper role in some of these games but you're still... An, an attacking player, and actually, you're someone who can shoot from distance. You know, if you're, it's it's this weird thing of like, if you're not in form or things like, then just try some shit. Mm. And I think, I think too many, you know, and we were praising Lacazette a lot, and rightly so, a few weeks back when he was coming in and transforming games a little bit, just to sort of putting himself about a bit. But I, I was, I was so shocked by his performance on on against Everton. I thought, I, I just thought. <laughs>
1: The deep line field that <laughs> well
0: yeah I mean you know positioning obviously it wasn't for his optimum and and whether that was him making decisions or it Arteta instructing him to do things that he's not really able to do but there was still you know what worried me was not so much that but the fact that there was a real lack of effort at times and the fact that when we did have the ball in possession in attacking areas I think the 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 one where Martini crossed it and it went onto the bar and, and, and you know I think that was the only time I saw him in a position in the penalty area where he might have scored without it having to be a fantastic shot yeah uh, and and it's like yeah I know you're playing this deeper role but you are still even as a number 10 you should be getting into that position you know Erdegaard's playing deeper than you and he's getting into those positions yeah. Um, so, what, what? What? You know, what are you trying to do? Ultimately, you know, Lacazette's a good finisher as well. So it's so frustrating that he's not even trying to get into goal scoring positions. It's he, it's got he's kind of got Harry Kane disease times two.
1: <laughs> so let me ask you a question that's popped into my head: Would you be happy to see NK as start up front for us tomorrow? Yes. Yeah. I would
0: kind actually. Of, uh, I, I I would because you know, ultimately, he's not played a lot, so he should have a lot of energy. Lacazette's audition to play get more game time was was I, I was I was embarrassed by it. Aubameyang, I, you know, I think I'd much rather he finds his confidence coming off the bench and scoring a goal against tied opposition um, at the moment. And Lacazette every time, I'm sorry, and every time he's come on this season you know we know he's never going to be a world class finisher but he's he's trying he's and he's and he's trying in a way that has the potential to be effective <laughs> um, you know so I mean of course I you know Bamiang is, we should always start ahead of him all things being equal but Bamiang has looked, looked knackered and a bit confidence broken at the moment you know if, if Balogun was slightly further on his development he'd, he should start tomorrow
1: yeah um, I, I I was gonna say actually, it's it's a shame that he hasn't been able to have a loan somewhere, and then he might be closer to being ready. But even then, I think it'd
0: be well. Also, he wouldn't if he was on a loan somewhere; it'd be at least until the new year, so he wouldn't be back. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but but I think with Balogun, it was, I mean, the problem is is basically the club's been trying to get someone to take Lacazette, and then when Nketiah turned down a contract been trying to tell Sell Nketiah... Um and the fact that neither player has been prepared to go until they've run their contract down has basically fucked us because we were trying to buy strikers in the summer you know Tammy Abraham yes he's a you know he's a bit of a chaos agent but we we basically were very very keen on having him chelsea were willing to sell him to us he wanted to come to us but we couldn't buy him because we had two we've already got strikers we had too many strikers and you can't have like, you can't have a situation where 180,000 pound a week, Alexander Lacazette isn't even getting on the bench, which might well have happened. Um, And because we couldn't, and and Nketia turned down a deal to Palace, you know, I've had so many threads, so many people, including Alan Davis, slagging off the club for not selling Nketia. It's like, we did, we sold him, but he decided he didn't want to go because Palace wouldn't give him enough money because he's worked out that if he goes in a Bosman in the season, he gets more money. You know, and we're going to see more and more players doing that and and we desperately need a new striker and we and we all know we've been talk- talking for a year and a half now about we need someone that's like a mixture of Lacazette and a Bamiyang, someone who can, can run in behind but can also occasionally hold on to the ball and although he's not as good a finisher as either Tammy Abraham can do both those things you know it's why everyone's linking us with uh, um, the lad from Fiorentina uh, not Vlade Lappet. Uh, is it Vlahovic? No, no Vlahovic. Oh God, Vlahovic. Yes, sorry. Uh, I was.
1: I'm oh, sorry about my pronunciation. N-
0: no, I think you may have pronounced it correctly, and I and I was getting confused because I was tra- <laughs> trying not to think of Goran Vlahovic, Croatia striker from years past.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, you know, but he's a player that the the, pro- the type of player makes perfect sense. You know, decent in the air, can hold the check, run the channels, can hold the ball up. Obviously, he's having a, a mental season for Fiorentina after a good season last year, and he's probably out of our price range now. Um, but it's n- it's open secret that this is what we need, um, not just for Arteta ball, but also generally. You know, it, one it, and it all stems back to the shite squad building from 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 the dying days of Wenger, yeah. where we we bought Lacazette, and then suddenly Bamian became available, so we bought Bamian. Lacazette and Aubameyang, they can kind of play together, but that's not what you want to happen. They're not really people you want to bring on one for another to change a game. Um, you know, we'd have been much better if we'd known Aubameyang was going to be available, we should have been much better waiting and then, and, and then getting a getting keeping Giroud because ultimately Lacazette was bought as a player that would fit really well with Ozil and Sanchez and Sanchez immediately fucked off and then Ozil signed a new contract, broke his back and couldn't be asked to run for the next three years. Um, And so we ended up with the situation where for the last four or five years, we've been trying to make this frontline work with a group of incompatible players. And then we've got these great young talents that have come up, who are giving us hope in wide areas who but of course, neither of them really fit particularly well with either the striking options we've got. Uh, you know, um, obviously, good players you can play together to stuff but you wouldn't if you had those to start with. You wouldn't choose either, either of our strikers, would you? No. You'd want someone they could play off, but who can also spin in behind. Shock horror, which is also what we all know we want. Um, and so, these problems are going to continue for the rest of this season because ultimately we need something else up front. Um, that's not to, that's not to say that Bamiang's a bad player or even Lacazette's a bad player. When they're playing well, they're both fine footballers, but neither of them quite fit what we need. They're both slightly in decline. It, it does seem as though Lacazette might be finally starting to think about his next contract somewhere else and doesn't want to get injured. And uh, and Bamiyang obviously has lost a tiny bit of, of his physical explosiveness but also is just in a really bad run of form and that's just going to happen occasionally Um yeah I don't
1: know yeah I'd it. be wary of writing over off just yet. Um I know that's not what you're doing by the
0: no. way no no but yeah I mean he, he's the sort of player that if if he gets his co- I mean well the fact is is if he was converting goals at the same rate that he was a couple of seasons back, which was just better finishing, which is not the thing that really declines with age. He's just being slightly more composed with his chances. Then he'd have 10 league goals this season and would be feeling all right about it. Yeah. Because um, before he was scoring ahead of his XG, now he's somewhere behind his XG. Lacazette's more worrying because he's he's barely had a chance to score friggin' season apart from the goal he got. Um,
1: yeah, difficult to score from the halfway line. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, you know, but our goal scoring has been really awful this season. I mean, um,
1: because I was talking about this with Steve last week, so I think there is something about, I mean, Smith Rowe has scored more goals this season, but we've got two 20-year-olds in advanced positions in our team, and, you know, Bakaya Saka has not... I mean he's got two league goals this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the positions that Saka gets into, he should be doing and I think that he will when he gets into you know, yeah. talked about it before. Yeah. But I do wonder if there's something about and I don't want to put this I'm not making this about the kids not doing enough because the kids have done loads. But I do wonder if we're suffering um for having these two very special players in such prominent positions
0: in the team. I totally agree. I mean, ultimately, apart from a handful of the exceptions, maybe someone like Michael Owen, Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, and one and two others, most players who score a lot of goals in their career score a shitload more when they get into their mid-20s than they do when they're teens or the very start of their 20s. And we've seen it even at Arsenal. I mean, not with strikers necessarily, because we haven't really had players that young in those positions oh,
1: Ramsey and
0: Fabregas Ramsey and Fabregas exactly yeah. exactly or you know or, or even dare I say it um, you know great Arsenal players of the past I mean Thierry Henry had a, was good for Monaco but he was never a goal scorer like he was when he, by the time he hit his mid-twenties you know
1: yeah I think that's the frustration with Pepe and I get that, what you were
0: saying earlier um, yeah he's, he's an in-product player but so, so you want to find a way to get him in the team?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, like you said with Aubameyang, even if you started Saka and gave him an hour and then Pepe, you've got Pepe to come on and run at a in defence which I think quite well at points over the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just Pepe is someone that gets you between 15 to 20 goals a season and when you've got a non-scoring front line I mean, he must be doing really bad shit in training not to be getting minutes.
0: Well, I think, I, think, I mean, the problem is, I think, that, um, you know, Saka is still so important to our build-up and our breakout and also in terms of playing final ball passes that he's ahead of Pepe on merit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Saka's... You know, unfortunately, we've got a number of players in the team who, for whatever reason, struggle to last the 90 minutes. And it's different reasons for different people. And while Saka is not someone who's as good at 90 minutes as he is in the first minute, he's not one of the bigger problems on that. So to bring Pepe on, you're moving either Saka or Pepe into a position which is slightly less effective for them. You know, we've got Smith Rowe, we know, tyres, Lacazette, we know, is gassed after half an hour. We know that party seems to be lacking in fitness. Um, so, you, you know, you, you and when we were playing, yeah, it's not so bad with Erdogan at number 10, but then you're sort of the, the spaces to bring people on are not the best spaces for Pepper to play in. Unless you think what I think we should we should have tried at some stage, and I think it's probably too late now, but, you know, uh, as Arteta's doing this five-channels thing going forward, it does mean that the person on the right is often quite wide. And I don't think that suits Pepe. And I think he'd be, mu- I think where he needs to be to be dangerous is essentially the positions that our number 10 gets into, which is a sort of inside right channel uh, quite near the box. Cause we all know that Pepe is a fantastic finisher can play good crosses, but that's basically it. You know, he can beat a man sometimes uh, and, and, but he's better at that in broken play than he is in, in structured play he's a great you, um, player, but, he's, but, he, he's, but the problem is that you put him in number 10 that your ball attention goes out the window because he can't fucking pass it half the time such frustrating player
1: <laughs> did you, um, what did you make of Ali McCoy's comments on Saka last week because there was a couple of uh, occasions towards the end of the game where Saka got the ball Um, the ball came over from the left and from the right and McCoy was saying his starting position is too deep he should be further in and then he would get more and they they were almost positions that Nicola Pepe at Pepe's best he would be in those positions and ready
0: yeah, I agree. I totally agree with what McCoy is saying, although not necessarily the reasons behind it. In in that, I do think it might be attributable more to the Arteta five channels thing. Um, we don't know how rigid that is, and and that's that's where the uncertainty is. If it's very rigid, then it's not Saka's fault at all. If it's not rigid, then it is Saka's fault because he should be getting in more interior positions. Undoubtedly, he's a player that is still learning how, what positions to take up, and obviously, you know, the, if he had been five yards further in field on both those occasions he probably would have got a goal between one or two of them um so uh but where the responsibility for that lies is a bit of an uncertainty um and I guess would be clearer is only really clearer if you see someone else playing in that role
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: um but the but the fact that you know when when martinelli played that role came on first initially for, uh, you know, against Newcastle and then then also against United did get into interior position, suggest it's, even though at times he was very wide, it isn't totally rigid. So yeah, it might might be partly down to the player, not just not anticipating, Uh, but it's hard because we know that Arteta favours a, a positional structure. So it's very easy to, to find what answer suits your bias with that question because of the, answer, the the bits we don't know. You know, I know a lot of people be going, it's all Arteta's fault, he's telling him to stay in the wrong fucking place. But equally, yeah, yeah, yeah. anyone that likes Arteta might be saying, well, you know, the player isn't taking responsibility for reading the play or whatever.
1: Um, well, I, I don't know, I think that's been a lot of... I just the subject a little bit, but obviously there's this thing about how Arsenal, when they score a goal, we drop off, we drop off, and it's mm. a bit, People have been like, "Well, is that Arteta's instruction?" But there's, I think there's been uh, some footage of, on Twitter of Arteta trying to get the team up the pitch. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It, it's my my boss always used to say to me, it, it, "Someone either doesn't do something because they can't do it or they won't do it, and you can train them if they can't do it. If they won't do it, then it's a problem." Um, but. Um, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I just feel it's not that the players are not responding to him. It, it's, is it like a trust thing that they trust themselves to go and get up the pitch? I you don't get the
0: impression he gives them Wenger-esque unbelievable belief.
1: No, uh,
0: but at the same time, you, it's the makeup of the players. It's the makeup of the players because. If you look at it, who have we got that if we play to the we play the ball to them, uh, say on the halfway line or the attacking third, and they've got a couple of defenders near them, if they don't have someone they can immediately lay it off to, who have we got? Who we fancy to to hold on to the ball in that situation? And, and...
1: Um, I think Martinelli could. I think he really? did, uh, did. Did he not have a look? He had a little break against um, Man United and he he got up, he got to the edge of
0: the box. Yeah, I I don't mean sort of once every so often. I mean, on a consistent basis.
1: (laughs) But I I do do genuinely think Martinelli could do that. Saka.
0: Yeah, Saka, I think, is... is, is...
1: Immediately had his
0: legs torn off at the uh, knee. I, Um, I mean, that's the problem. Saka can do that, which is why opposition teams are targeting him. Yeah, and, and why, for some reason, even though he's now in England, international, the rest won't give him any fucking protection at all this season. It's a disgrace. Oh, They're
1: such bastards, aren't they, these but,
0: threats? But you look at it, you got, you know, we we just, we get the ball, we, we play quite comfortably out of defence, we get the ball to the halfway line, and unless we've got numerical super, superiority or it's broken play and we've got runners, we've got no structure to build anything from. You know, and, and, and it's partly, and I keep, it's partly, obviously, the, the coach. The coaching responsibility, because clearly positionally they're not being put in the optimum positions to be able to work around their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But it's also partly the players, in that there's none of them who reliably retain possession under pressure in those kind of positions. So it means you've got to. It means the picture around them has to be perfect or nearly perfect for things to work. And when it works, great. We we break through teams. Uh, it's not so bad, as I say, in broken play because we've got people who, are, you know, quite quick and you know can do things in an isolated moment. But when it comes to when the opposition's got structure and they've got defenders in the right positions, we don't seem to know how to get out, um, if unless we've got the Goldilocks conditions. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, that's partly on the coach for sure for not getting better positional structure in terms of options but it's also partly on the players
1: um, Yeah, I guess you know we do also have to recognize it as a young team and we knew the roads was going to be bumpy this season but it is interesting how I think as you said about my poll that I ran by the way yeah, the results on that were pretty yeah. <laughs> resounding Um People are not happy with Mikel Atlet at the moment, but like you say, I think two weeks it would have looked a lot differently. But a performance like that one on Monday night is literally like being punched in the
0: face. Oh yeah, so, I mean, you know, if we if we have another three games like that, it's going to be Unai Emery end of days time.
1: Because, yeah,
0: because as you know, if you lose in a in a pathetic way, um, then even though of course against Everton we actually. Could have easily. We had the chances to win the game as well as Everton's disallowed goals. It sh- the game actually should have been three all. <laughs> um, but uh, you can only take that so much. And you know, when 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 the reason why Arteta survived when things were shit as opposed to Emery is because one, because the board had backed Arteta more and were kind of more invested in it, but also because there. You, it was, there was a lot of bad luck. It was very narrow defeats. It, the team was still trying, but the p- performances as limp as we saw against Everton, you know, you get a few of them in a row and, and, and the knives start getting very sharp, very quickly. Uh, and, you know, and by the time, you know, you know, Emery went, you know, and I've got nothing against Emery, I think he's a, he was a good coach. It was a bad fit. Um, yeah. By the time he went, like it was, you were just waiting for it. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't even like, can, you know, it wasn't a question of should he stay, should he go? It's like, well, when's he going? Yeah.
1: I mean to the point where um even I think even the base acts the news came out, it, it, there wasn't any shock from anybody no. was, was there. It was um very much chronicle of the best foretold. Um so um I was just gonna ask are you feeling optimistic about the Theo Walcott Derby tomorrow or?
0: well I think we I think I mean, it partly depends on who's fit, obviously. Uh, but I am more optimistic. I think, I think at home, I think that's one of the hallmarks of a young team is that they're better at home. That security, that sort of sense of security, is a big thing. You know, there's a reason why all our young teams, both now and better ones in the past, have struggled in the northwest. It's because it's grim up there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean that both seriously and in a uh, and, and tongue in cheek way, but. Yeah, I, I'm reasonably confident. I mean, obviously Southampton have got some injuries as well. They're missing Che Adams. They've had to bring in a 40-year-old ex-Chelsea Reserve goalkeeper because both their goalies are knackered. Although given them, given history and recent fixtures of their goalies gifting us goals, I'm, should, maybe you should be less optimistic about that. Uh, it's, it's all set up for heroic geriatric narrative, narrative there. It
1: certainly is, isn't it? Um, but I
0: think... I think Southampton are a team that are, are a lot better at their gaffe than they are away from home. Uh, and I think because it's at our place, I think that will be enough for us to, to, to do it. And I think also there is still enough players in this squad with enough character that are, they'll be hurting after those two games. You know, The fact that Odegaard came out in the press and, to be fair, Arteta were both pretty explicit about how unhappy they were and why they were unhappy. You know, normally that's the kind of thing that when it gets to that point, you normally get a reaction, I think. Um,
1: yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hope so. Yeah, I hope so. He's sitting by the uh, technical area in uh, Block 1 tomorrow.
0: So. I mean, the good, the good thing is Martin Alley's been confirmed that he's available. Um, Smith Rowe, they're still waiting to see if he's going to be available. Uh, and everyone else is pretty much available, I mean, to varying degrees of fitness. But also I think being at home will make it easier for Arteta to feel that he can bring Samby back in and, and sit Xhaka down for, to get slightly fitter.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I just would like to see Arteta be a bit brave with um, selections, where not just picking players, which is of the name, you know... Um, I think the players because of what they've done in training. Maybe, of course, that the players that do the business in training are the names. But um, I I would like to see Le Conga in tomorrow. Or like say, maybe maybe Jaffa, maybe Party. Uh, either.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would not be averse to seeing the Watford midfield again that we saw. Um,
1: it, those two played really well together. No? I just think that's that's why I think. I get how much Arteta trusts Granite Jacker. We saw how much he trusts Granite Jacker on Monday night. Um, but those two were so good together, and then you don't see it again, and just it, it's frustrating. Um, but also, I think actually Martinelli and Ketsia and uh, Saka front could potentially be quite exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it would still have massive structural issues, but it certainly wouldn't be lacking in energy. No, um, you know, you, you're not going to get with that lineup. You wouldn't be getting beautiful patterns of, of structured play, or you know, the most incisive bits and bobs. But you'll you'd, you'd get a lot of energy, and that might be what the crowd need. You might, you know, it might be one of those games where having people that will run around a lot might actually be quite helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I think for all that I've said about earlier I mean, I, I like every other Arsenal fan out there. I want to see Martinelli given a run, and obviously he's started to get that now. And it'd be mm. nice to keep that going. Um,
0: also, no one can ever say that Martinelli's found it in. No, I mean he's you know he's got his rough edges. He's got his flaws as a player. Uh, he too is not someone that's great for giving you control. But you know, he's someone whose motivation you never doubt. Um, and that's I think that's going to be significant at this at this period of the season. Um, you know, the fixtures are, are very tight. You know, it's Arteta's tried to rotate the team a bit, it's bit him in the arse. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll have to see what happens. I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? We were talking not so long ago about this being an Arsenal squad that's actually got a little bit of depth. Um, but unfortunately some of the depth, even though they're players you'd expect to perform at a higher level, haven't done so. Um so we shall see, but yeah, no, I'm pretty confident again against Southampton. I mean, they're always dangerous because of um, you know they they've got a good coach, they press well, and they've generally got a bit of pace going forwards. But I, I don't what I've seen from them recently suggests that they're they're not quite in the, group, the best place themselves either at the moment, um, and I and I, and I think we'll be very up for it. Um, you know, it's it, it's not like we've it's not like the last. Winter, where we we had such a bad run of run of games in a row that by the time by the time we played them, we were kind of bereft already. Um, you know that there's there should be some confidence and there should be a bit of anger in the team after after what happened in, in the last two games. And um, they certainly will be on the stands if they don't sort.
1: it of <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see, won't we?
0: We'll see. We'll see. Do do, do dare you a scoreline prediction?
1: One, one nil that seems like a fairly safe, uh, sensible prediction. Okay, Come I'm, gonna,
0: I'm oh. going for three. I'm going for three-one.
1: You think we're going to score three goals tomorrow? You're mad. <laughs>
0: it's, it's got to happen sometime.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. but I,
0: uh, genuinely, I think I think that I think the, I think Southampton's defensive vulnerabilities match quite well into the things we're quite good at whether we'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. No, okay, we'll wait and see. But I can see the potential where... where, And, and, I, and just because they've talked about so explicitly in the last week about taking the foot off the gas, I think there'll be a real desire not to do that.
1: So Yeah. I, I guess, like you so, say, I mean, we are decent at home and I think, as I said yesterday, generally, we do beat the teams we should beat. Obviously, we didn't beat Brentford or Everton, but... Um,
0: Away games in voice vociferous atmospheres, you see. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly that. Um, so yeah, I think we'll win. I just don't think it'll be, it'll be easy because nothing's ever easy. This is Arsenal football,
0: so. Yeah. I mean, it's also worth mentioning in both those games. You know, the, the defeats to Brentford and Everton. Looking at statistically, um, we deserved more out of the, even though we were shit in both. We actually, if you look at the chances created, the you know things like extreme whatever. We still should have got draws out of both of those games. Um And in both cases, actually, with incompetent officiating, perhaps more than draws, because let's not forget, Brentford's second goal was uh, <laughs> which was WWE on our goalkeeper.
1: Uh, yeah, God, didn't that set the tone for the season?
0: Indeed, indeed. It certainly set the tone for Bert Leno's season.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I was dropped. You really don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Next time, look if you if if you're going to let a goal in, you might as well go full Jens Lehmann and deck the bloke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Be a hero if he'd done that.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Understanding what the fans want. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for us this week. Um, I hope this ramble has been of some way entertaining, or at least makes you feel a little less angry before uh before the game at Southampton uh, on the morrow. Um. Thank you, Paul, as always, for giving me someone to talk to and, Thank you for me. and pulling me up for when I'm being a twat, which happens occasionally. <laughs> and, yeah, have, yeah. A- have a great week. We speak to you next, listeners. It'll be sooner with the next one. Um, we'll do it early at the start of next week after the Southampton game. Hopefully we'll have happy things to talk about and, uh, yeah, can just get a nice win and enjoy our Sundays without feeling all tense. And frustrated and other negative <laughs> things that have inco- made Twitter not the finest place to be over the last
1: week or so. All right, cheerio, everyone. Bye.